Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. And here we come to the section where Jesus deals with adultery and, and sexual sin. And he says in verse 27, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. So remember that we are, we're tackling the Sermon on the Mount. We're walking through it a piece at a time. We're taking our time, paying close attention to the things that, that Jesus has said. I mean, we're, we're kind of trying to put a microscope on it uh, to really get everything, all the goodness and richness out of it that we can to the extent that we can in a series of, of sermons. You know, you could spend your life studying what Jesus has said in this one, this one message but we're, we're taking weeks, and we're zeroing in on one piece at a time. But Jesus, he didn't do this over the course of weeks and one piece at a time. He preached this message. It may have taken him 30 minutes to preach this whole message. I think it's about 2,400 words total, and just at a normal rate of speech, about 30 minutes is probably what it, what it would have taken him to, to deliver this whole message. He didn't, he didn't deliver it over a period of weeks, so, so, but we're looking at, at it over a period of weeks, and we're looking at it in sections, in segments, and so when we approach the individual parts of his sermon, we need to understand that, that and we need to take them as just that, as parts of a whole. These are building blocks of a whole, whole theology that he's building for us. And the part that we are focusing on today is where Jesus speaks about lust in the heart and sexual sin. Remember, uh, just a few verses than the previous verses, he told them before that um, anger uh, was very closely related to murder. In verse 21, he said, You've heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Very familiar to what he says to, uh, in this passage where he's talking about adultery. You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, so here is the letter of the law. He says, last week, he says, you shall not murder, right? This governs actions. But the law is not meant to just govern actions. It is, meant, it is given to us to apply to and to shed light into the heart. Paul said that there wouldn't be any transgression if it weren't for the law. The law is a schoolmaster. It teaches us what unrighteousness is. The law is meant to apply to the heart. And so Jesus, he says that I say to you that even if you're angry at your brother, the law says don't murder. That's, that's the, the letter of the law. But I say to you, even if you're angry at your brother, you're going to face the same judgment that you would face if you were to murder your brother. Now, you'll remember from last week, Jesus puts murder and he puts anger into the same uh, category without saying that they are the same thing. I mean, they're so closely connected. 
So much, in fact, that the judgment for the greater one is the same thing as the judgment for the lesser one. Anger is like sin crouching at the door, and if we're not aware of it, if, we're not, uh, if we don't rule over it, it will rule over us. So then Jesus gives us some clarity about the law as it relates to murder and anger, and, and we have a pattern that we see emerge from, from Jesus' approach to the law and then the clarity of the law, the letter of the law and then the heart of the law. And I should have brought this out last week, but uh, we, we took a different, different approach to it. But as I see it, with, with minor adjustments here and there throughout the rest of the, the Sermon on the Mount, anywhere he addresses these, you have heard it said, but I say, issues, we see a pattern that Jesus gives to them. First, he addresses the letter of the law. What does the law say? What is the, the, the strict rule of the law? And then he clarifies the heart of the law. Then he addresses the seriousness of sin, the, the real seriousness. This is a big deal that you transgress not just the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. And then he gives us a way out, a defense against breaking the law, a defense for our righteousness, if you will. You know, there are certain things that we can do, certain things that we all do every day to keep ourselves from transgressing the law. There are fences that we put up, not the law of God per se, but even just the law of man. There are certain fences that we put up. I don't know about you, but I'm a stickler about speed limits. I don't, some people think they're speed suggestions. I understand that the word limit means limit, not a speed suggestion. So if it says 75, I'm doing about 73, 74. I don't want to exceed the speed limit. Right? I wish other people felt that way because I'm driving the speed limit and people are just passing me left and right. And it, it, oh, that irritates me. And then I have to worry about anger in my heart. And then we got we to go back to square one. <laughs> my wife thinks they're speed suggestions. <laughs> oh, and that bothers me. Uh, I have a hard time riding next to her. That's why I'm always driving. So he gives us the law, he gives us the letter of the law, and then he gives us the intent of the law, and then he tells us the seriousness of our sin, of transgressing the law, and then he tells us a way out, how to guard yourself against trespassing the law, how to protect and defend righteousness in your heart. Now notice that this is, when he, so when he came to murder, he said murder and anger are in the same category, but they're not the same thing. I think we can all agree with that. But his language here is very different. He said if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you have already committed adultery. You've already, that stream that we talked about last week that flows into the river, that flows into the ocean, that becomes, there's murder, you, you, you're already in the ocean. You've already gotten there. If you've, if you've looked at, at a woman with lustful intent, you've already crossed the line. You've transgressed the law. So he, here's what he does. He gives us some practical advice back, back on murder. He gave some practical advice about how to, how to, how to guard yourself against murder becoming, against anger becoming murder, how to keep that stream from flowing into the river and becoming, becoming a great ocean. In verse 24 of Matthew 5, he says, uh, first be reconciled. So first be reconciled. And then in 25, he says, come to terms quickly. 
This is, these are fences that we can use. These are, these are defenses that we can use to guard our righteousness, to keep anger from welling up in us, that sin that's crouching at the door. This is how we can rule over the sin of anger and not let it become a transgression like murder. So again, from the previous verses that we covered last week, we have the letter of the law, that's don't murder, verse 21. We have the heart or the intent of the law, control your anger, treat others with dignity, that's verse 22. Verses 22 and 23, he tells us the seriousness of the law, your anger and your unkindness, those are going to land you in the same judgment as murder will, that's serious business. And then in verses 23 and 26, Jesus tells us the way out. He gives us the spiritual and practical defense against trespassing the heart of this law. Be reconciled quickly. Seek peace quickly. Don't wait. Make peace. Do it now. Even if it means that you have to get up from your worship, go do that. Go make peace now and then come back and worship. Those are defenses that we put up for our righteousness. And I want you to see once again the same pattern, the same uh, flow of thought that Jesus gives in this, this section where he talks about lust and sexual sin, the letter of the law, the heart of the law, the seriousness of sin, and then the way out. So if we look in verse 27, we see that Jesus, he, again, very plain statement. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. It doesn't get any blacker or whiter, any more contrast than that. It's a very plain on its face statement. Don't commit adultery. Now commit, that's an action, that's a deed. In legal terms, that's something that's been committed is something that has been done. If you commit a crime, you have done the crime. So that governs your actions. The deed is done. In fact, if you go back to the original language um, in, in the Greek, this, this phrase that we have that was rendered here, commit adultery, it's one word. So the, the action is assumed in the word. It's assumed that, that the act has been committed. It's been done. Here's the thing, though. The Old Testament definition of adultery was a very narrow definition. Um, it centered very closely around the marriage status of the woman. So if a man had relations, sexual relations, with an unmarried woman or a woman who was not betrothed, not neither betrothed nor married. So she's single in, in all the tenses, right? But he did this outside of marriage. He is not engaged, technically, in adultery. As long as he went ahead and married her, everything is all right. If, neither, if they didn't get married, then now they're both guilty of fornication, which is equally bad, but it's not technically adultery, according to the law. This is why you see so many of the patriarchs have multiple wives. I mean, goodness, you know, Solomon, he had like a thousand different wives and concubines. And uh, he, he's the one that wrote uh, most of the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And then we have David, who, who gave us the Psalms, the, the worship hymnal of, of Israel. And he had at least eight wives that are named that we know of, more than likely more, and an unknown number of concubines. And in all this, no one accused them of transgressing the law of adultery because the definition was pretty narrow. And as long as they didn't technically break it, 
They haven't bumped up against the law. Do you see a problem in the heart, though? I mean, where's the intention? Do you know that? Where's the intent? So they, they designed their relationships and their desires and the pursuit of their heart around how much they could get away with. Right? I mean, this was, so they all had multiple wives. I say all of them. Many of them had multiple wives, even our patriarchs in the faith. These were rules, however, that were laid down to protect men and women against the sin of sexual immorality, against the sin of adultery, against transgressing what God had clearly laid out in Genesis as the pattern for marriage and fidelity. In Genesis 2, God created Adam, then he created Eve from Adam, one for one. Genesis 2, 24, the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now this is the pattern for marriage. This is how marriage was created. This is how it was instituted. A man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. That's how the King James puts it, leaving and cleaving. And I would ask you, how often shall a man leave his father and his mother? That's the pattern. Should a man leave his father and mother and hold to his wife only to return to his father and mother in order to do it again? How often should he leave his father and mother? This leaving and cleaving is a one-time thing. It cannot be done and then done again. Once you leave and begin your own family, you don't return to leave and begin another family. There's some things that you just simply cannot undo in order to redo. You can't go back and do them again. Once they're done, they're done. The leaving is done and the cleaving is done. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife? That's not to say that young and married couples can't, can't live at home with mom and dad. It happens all the time. Financial situations dictate it, that sort of thing. You know, mom and dad are more established. They've got the room while the couple gets off their feet. But certainly, in those situations, the, the spiritual dynamic, the psychological dynamic, it's changed. You can't undo that. The leaving has effectively happened, whether they're still at home or not. Amen. Amen. A butterfly, to put it in another, another way, a butterfly can't go back into the cocoon. Right? You can't undo that metamorphosis. You can't undo that transformation. But because people are so rebellious by nature, the, the, you know, the fall has turned and blackened and deadened the heart of men to the righteousness of God. We seek temporary pleasure, temporary satisfaction. Because we're so rebellious by nature and committed to pursuing what is temporary and here and now, we need laws to define what is good and right even within Marriage, laws to define sexual purity even within marriage. The law is good, and it should have sufficed. You've heard of someone being released or acquitted from a crime based on a technicality. They got off on a technicality. They found a loophole. Basically, they exploited the letter of the law They exploited the letter of the law for malicious intent. The heart was wicked. We technically didn't bump up against the law, right? 
but the intent of the heart was still wicked. So naturally, you know, the letter of the law says that, you know, here is the act of adultery. Here's how adultery is defined. Adultery, by definition, has to do with marriage. So they go, and, 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 and in order to not break the law, they do everything they can do to commit adultery without actually calling it adultery. Because we haven't bumped up against the letter, the technical letter of the law. <clears throat> the letter of the law, however, is inferior to the heart of the law, and that's what Jesus tells us. You ever told your children not to run in the house, only to see them running past you? Well, how you would define running, and then you call them out on it, and they say, well, we weren't running, we're just walking really fast. See them do that? So somehow, I mean, technically, they've obeyed the law, right? They, you have set down a law, hey, y'all stop running. And technically, they have obeyed your law, but they have completely abused and run afoul of the heart of your law. They obeyed the letter, but they run afoul of the heart. You had different intentions when you said don't run. It, I, I wasn't being technical with you. I was giving you, I was telling you something altogether different. I wanted you to be safe. I wanted you to protect your surroundings. I didn't want you to break the stuff that's on the table by bumping into it because you're being careless. I wanted you to be careful. So I said don't run. I mean, that's why we tell them not to run. There could be a hundred different reasons. Maybe you've got a slick floor. You don't want them tripping and falling on the slick floor. You've got precious heirlooms in the house. You're carrying a pot of grease from the, you know, the stove to the sink or whatever, and you don't want them bumping into you. There are any number of reasons. There's danger when you just run recklessly in the house, and I don't want you to run. Okay, we won't run. But you have those precious little rule keepers who are ingenious and how they look at things. And they devised and surmised that it's technically not running if one foot is on the floor at all times. So we're not running. We're just walking really fast. And so when you say, hey, I said stop running. They look at you and they said, but we're not running. That's the same thing going on in Matthew. They're in the same danger. Right? God said, no running. And they all said, we're not running. We're just walking really fast. So Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Here's the heart of the law. Here's the intent of the law in verse 28. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Amen. So Jesus <laughs> that very narrow definition of adultery. He took it and busted it wide open. Everyone, single or married, who even looks at a woman, no stipulations about whether or not she is married or betrothed, simply a woman. And look at the language. If you just look at her with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. If anyone looks, now, okay, that's an action. So we're, we got a letter of the law now. That's like the, the outside of the cup, as it were. But then he ties the action to the inner motivation, the inside of the cup. He says, with lustful intent. 
So your intent, that is, that's all in your mind. That's all in the heart. That's your thoughts, your will, your motivations. That's your reason. It's not tangible. You can't, you can't touch intent. You can't, it's hard to qualify intent. But you see what it does. He takes the, the tangible letter of the law, don't commit. And then through all of this, he turns it into the intangible intent of the heart. The tangible letter of the law, and he applies it to the intangible intent of the heart. The intent of the law is meant to address the intent of the heart. And if you love God and you love His Word, you'll set your heart on His intent. Your heart will be after God's heart. And just like with children who are technically not wrong, they're technically not running, but they're still breaking the intent of the law they've been given. We run afoul of that so often. See, these kids, they don't love the law they've been given. They think mom's just being, she's just being mom. She just want me to have fun. Rather than knowing that mom has the best interest at heart. Mom's trying to spare you from danger. Mom's trying to protect your surroundings. And see, that's what we should love about mom's law. They protect us, right? We should love that about God's law even more. Because where mom's law will make mistakes, God's won't. Loving God is... Loving his law. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then in verses 29 and 30, he tells us just how serious this is. This is the seriousness of our sin. How serious it is to have a heart that loves God's law. And where our heart should be as it regards these laws. As it regards God's commandments, his clear commandments. In verse 29, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. He, he repeats this thing, the same thing in verse 30. And he says, if, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Tear out your eye and cut off your hand. That's pretty extreme, wouldn't you say? Amen. Amen. Yikes. <laughs> Can you be serious? Well, I mean, obviously he's not being literal, right? He can't be. And for those people who say, well, Jesus is not allowed to speak in metaphor or hyperbole, uh, I had a, a guy tell me one time, I, I, we were doing a communion service, and, and I made the statement about the cup that, is the, that represents the blood. And I said, and this, this cup represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. And boy, after that communion service, he came up to me and he chided me and told me, just stick to the word because it says it is the blood. Well, I, he also said, you are salt. <laughs> And you are light. Um, he said, you are sheep. Um, so uh, Jesus is allowed to speak in hyperbole. He's allowed to speak in metaphor. This grape juice that we have is not actually blood, but it is symbolic. Amen. And Amen. when we consecrate it, it doesn't become the blood, but it, it certainly symbolizes that for us. And, I mean, so obvious, I mean, Jesus is not saying, hey... You need to cut your eye out if, 
if you're looking at somebody with lustful intent or if you're tempted to look at some. And he, I, I read one commentary that, that put it this way, and I thought it was a great illustration. So imagine that you, are, that you work in an office building or, or I guess any setting, but you've got a coworker that, that is brand new on the job, and this coworker shows up. And, and guys, she's got all the right curves in the right places. They can have curves, but they need to be in the right places, right? She's got, I mean, and you just, and wow. And, and ladies, he's chiseled from head to toe. Like Michelangelo just, just carved him out of a stone. And, and so now you're, you're sitting here and you're, you're thinking, it, it's everything I can do not to just gaze at this person. Because, man, that is attractive and that really appeals to, to the flesh. And I'm having a hard time not... And the more I look at this person, the more I see this person, the more my thoughts just run crazy. I just can't, I can't help it. I can't get it out of my head. So you're a good Christian, and you love the law of God. You love what Jesus has said. And he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. So I, that's okay, Lord. I'm going to do that. And so you go, and, and you find someone that's willing to surgically remove both of your eyes. So you have your eyes removed, and after you heal from that, you go back to work, and, and you're looking forward to getting back on the job and, uh, you know, as, as much as you can, being blind. And uh, so you're there, and then this coworker shows up and greets you. And, oh, hey, it's great to have you back. So glad to see you. And just the voice makes you remember. And now you're back in the same boat. Because the more you remember, the more your thoughts run away with you. And now you're thinking, oh, crud, now I've got to go have my ears cut off. <laughs> you, can't, you can't fix the problem by plucking out eyes and cutting off hands because that wasn't the problem to begin with. Where is the problem? It's in your heart. Amen. The law addresses, the intent of the law addresses the intent of the, the heart. People will do a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. They'll endure a lot of things, even death, for something they hold as precious. So, I mean, that was a ridiculous scenario that, that we talked about. Who's going to do that? Though there are some that do. They mutilate their bodies in the hopes of keeping themselves from sinning. But that's, the problem is not there. The problem is in, in the wickedness of their heart. What Jesus is telling us that we have to take, I mean, take drastic measures. We ought to be willing to take drastic measures in order to avoid sin because of the seriousness of sin and because of the preciousness of God's law. To be close to God, to be close to His heart, to be inside His light and not outside of His light. That ought to be something. We don't ever want to be apart from that. And we'll do all kinds of things to, to protect and to preserve things that, that are precious to us. We'll face all kinds of persecution to promote our political candidate. We'll let the world scream at us and wail at us, but I'm going to stand by this guy. We'll, we'll face uh, opposition and we'll, we'll stand in opposition and we'll sometimes stand violently in opposition against someone who tries to infringe on what we think is our rights. We'll defend the people that we love against lies and slander. We'll defend our own property, sometimes violently defending our own property. We'll defend our own integrity. We'll defend our own dignity. We'll defend our own pride. We go to great lengths to defend our own pride. And we'll do it sometimes at great cost to ourselves. 
that how well, how diligently, to what lengths do we go to to defend our righteousness? Let me be clear. We cannot create righteousness for ourselves. It is a gift. That is a very clear testament of Scripture. Righteousness is a gift of God. When we try to make righteousness for ourselves, we try to make ourselves righteous, we wind up being like the scribes and the Pharisees who Jesus said, you appear clean and beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're just full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Righteousness is a gift to us. We are made righteous because of Christ, by Him and in Him, and there's no other way to righteousness but through Him. But are we not charged to defend our righteousness? Is this not what Paul was getting at in Ephesians 6, 11, when he told us to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil? What are the schemes of the devil? Have you thought about it? Are we talking about persecution? People talking bad about us when they, when they put you in chains because of your faith? They're talking about them reviling you and saying bad things and casting you out of clubs and telling you you can't shop here. Is that what we're talking about? Certainly not. Jesus said rejoice when that happens. Rejoice in that day for great is your reward. Is he talking about financial troubles when he talks about schemes of the devil? He can't be. Because Jesus said, you know, don't even cast a care for what you're going to eat or drink or wear. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of those things. If he cares for the sparrow, he cares for you. If he clothes the field, he'll clothe you. So he can't be talking about that kind of stuff. Does Satan try to work through those things? To accomplish his schemes. You bet he does. But let's not give him more credit than he deserves. His scheme is to deceive you. His weapon, his only weapon is deception. To lie to you. That's what he did in the garden with Eve. Hath not God said... He will deceive you into doubting the Lord to doubting God's promises. He will deceive you into loving some temporary pleasure more than you love God. He'll deceive you into all manner of unrighteousness. His weapon is deception. His scheme is aimed at the heart. But thankfully, Jesus provides us a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I love this passage, though it's so often misapplied misquoted. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, it'd be real easy for me to just end it right there and say, Jesus is the way out. Is that, is that not right? I mean, surely, yes. Christ is the way out. He is the way out. 
It'd be easy for me to say that. Just put your faith, your trust, your hope in the Lord, and you'll be, you'll be able to guard your heart against temptation to sin. You'll be able to guard your heart against those evil intentions. And that should be enough because that is perfectly true. But our Lord didn't just say, hey, look at me. He didn't just say that. Look at me and then, and then, he, and then leave it at that. He offers some practical advice, how to defend against temptation to sin, how to defend against these schemes of the devil, how to protect righteousness in your heart. How do you keep the inside of the cup clean once you've gotten it clean? So back in Matthew 5, verse 29, he says, For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Then he repeats himself in verse uh, 30, for it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body go to hell. Do we know he's not being literal about cutting off limbs and plucking out eyes? He's laying down a principle. It is better, it's better to do something, it's better to do without something that leads you into sin than it is to have that thing and, and be cast into hell. Now apply that to our lives. What are the sources of temptation in your life that you just can't seem to overcome? We were just at a, a, a marriage conference, my wife and I, and we were serving as, as table leaders, discussion leaders at the conference, and they had a breakout session with the where the men all gathered in one place and the women all gathered in the other place. And in, in the breakout session with the men, the uh, uh, subject of, of pornography was brought up. This is a, and this is specifically addressed here in this passage that Jesus deals with about lust and sexual sin. If you look with your eyes at a woman with lustful intent, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. And it was said, but it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, it doesn't matter. It's against God's law. It hurts your soul. It condemns your soul. You're outside of the will of the Lord. You're outside His light. And you've got to put uh, guards up against that. So see, men will struggle with this. And it is far more prevalent, than, even among women, than, than any of us would like to admit. But they'll struggle with this sort of thing. And rather than putting away that which causes them to struggle, rather than putting safety nets up on their internet browser, you know, content filters or whatever, to keep them from going, as just a, not as a, not, not like the Pharisees do with, with subscribing all these rules around the law, but just as protection measures, personal accountability measures. Rather than putting stuff up like that, they'll still play with it. They're like a moth circling around a flame. I'm not going to get burned this time. I won't get burned this time. And what happens? Every single time they get burned. That, that person at work that is enticing you, that is... That is uh, Attacking your marriage, that's getting into your, your life, that's, that's contacting you through social media, that, that you're developing a, an emotional bond to that is probably inappropriate because you should be having that emotional bond with your spouse. And what do we do? Oh, I can handle it. 
I can handle it. The gas station that we go to every day, you know, there's that, there's that magazine rack with all the smut magazines right there at the door. And you go to the gas station every day and you see that. You can't help but see it because it's right there at the door. And you know, I'm good. I'm not going to go over there and look at that stuff, but oh, it's in my head now. And every day you go and you see that and you succumb to that and it, I can't get it out of my head and now it's there. It's planted there. That image is there all day long. And so you wrestle and you struggle with that. And what do we do? We're, I'm just going to keep, but why? Why don't we go to that gas station? It's on the way to work. It's more convenient. Well, for goodness sakes, go to the one across town that doesn't have that. How precious is your righteousness? Spend a little extra minutes and a little extra money to go to the other gas station. Spend a little extra dollars on the gas to get there. Wake up a little bit earlier so you can go to the gas station to get your coffee or your gas or whatever so you don't have to see the smut and be tempted by it. That's what he means if your eye causes you to sin to pluck it out. Get rid of the situations in your life that are causing you to sin. Or at the very least, put fences up around them. Guys, do you guard your marriage? Ladies, do we guard the marriage? It's precious to us. If it's precious to us, we'll protect it. What about the TV show? You know, that story is so entertaining and it's so intriguing and it just draws me in and the characters are so well written and, and I just can't, I mean, every, every episode just keeps me wanting to come back for more. But, you know, the only problem with it is it's just, it's just riddled with sex. And nudity and all other manner of purient things. You know what? Don't watch the show. It's better for you to not know what's going to happen to those fictional characters than it is to throw your whole body into hell. So we are, we are to be dead to the flesh, but alive in Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 13. He says, so if you live according to the flesh... You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to deed or death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is explaining the principle that Jesus is laying out in these sayings about the law. You've heard it said, but, but I say. If you live, if you serve the flesh, trying to find loopholes, just how close to that line can I get without crossing over it, then you don't, you don't love the law. If you're trying to find loopholes, if you're trying to pursue those temporary pleasures while technically not breaking the law, you've already broken the law. You're living after the flesh. You're already condemned, Paul says. You're already dead. But if you live by the Spirit and you have joyful obedience that comes through knowing Christ and loving Christ, you will live You'll do like Paul said, you'll count it all as loss. Everything that you gave up, everything you surrendered, everything that you endured to protect your righteousness. And what do I mean when I say protect your righteousness? I'm essentially talking about protecting your relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with your Savior, with your Lord, who brought you out of all that mess to begin with. Well, a dog always goes back to his vomit. Why would you do that? If you live by the Spirit loving Christ, you'll keep His commandments. You'll count it all as loss. The things that you say, you know what? I don't, I don't want that. I don't need that because I want Him more. 
I want to live in that light more. That is a far more surpassing joy and a far greater glory than any inconvenience that I'll deal with by not being able to watch that TV show or go to that gas station. You know what? It may mean changing jobs. I've got to get away from that toxic person that is trying to wreak havoc on my marriage. Paul says if we live by the Spirit, certainly he means by if, if by the power of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be obedient. But Paul is also making the point against rule keeping as righteousness, isn't he? Rule keeping leads us to looking for technicalities. Well, I didn't break the rule technically. Rule keeping ignores the heart and the intent of the law and it seeks to satisfy our flesh. If you live after the flesh, you're already dead. By the Spirit, in the Spirit, motivated, moved by the Spirit. In other words, obeying Christ's commandments is not some dutiful but ultimately joyless experience, adherence to rule keeping. Instead, it's motivated by a desire Towards, I want to, I just I want to stay in his light. I want to obey. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I love you, so I want to do what you tell me is right. Moved into joyfully putting down the things of the flesh in order that we might live for the surpassing joy of the things of the Spirit. I asked you before, do we do, we do things to protect our relationships? Do we do things to protect our marriage? Sure you do. I would certainly hope that you do. And, and are, those, are those protections worth it? I would suspect that they are. And we should be even more diligent, even more protective of our relationship with Christ. Don't you think? And that's what he says here. You know, I, there's a letter of the law. There's a heart that is so dangerous if you go against the heart, the intent of the law. Because it speaks to the intent of your heart. But there is a way out. Put up protections, guys. Put up protections, ladies. If you've got that friend that always likes to gossip, maybe you don't talk with that friend. Or maybe when that conversation starts, you shut it down. I mean, you can do things and be, do it in love, right? But we, we don't want to protect our righteousness. <laughs> That's what Christ says we ought to do. Amen. All right? So I'm going to leave it with you at that. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I love your word. I thank you for giving it to us. Lord, help us. Here's my prayer. Lord, ignite in us a passion and a love for you that is real, as real as the hand that we're holding, as real as, as any relationship that we have here, even more so, Lord. A love that we cherish and would do anything to keep pure. Help us, Lord. Help us to see you as that precious. Help us to guard the righteousness that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.